What's going on, everybody? I told you it was coming. If you watched my Twitter, if you watched the show's Twitter, I told you it was coming, and now it is finally here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of The Rich Behan Show. I'm your man, Rich Behan. I am so excited to be doing this. This is something I didn't think was going to happen for an extremely long time, but I had friends coming to me and saying, hey, man, you know, you really got to do something for yourself. You know, we really, we value your opinion and and we want to hear you talk about sports. So listen, here it is. I'm going to just lay out the show for you real quick. It's going to be about 45 minutes every week. This week, it's going to be releasing on a Wednesday. For the weeks coming, it might be a Friday, Um, but it's going to be about 45 minutes. It's just going to be a straight podcast. You found it, obviously, on iTunes. You found it on SoundCloud or TuneIn. That's where you'll be able to catch all of these episodes. Also, one major rule. I I only have one rule on this show. This is going to be New York sports only. I live... I have lived in the New York market now for 18, 19 years. And it's what I've grown up with. It's what I know the best. So why not just talk about it? So enough about the show itself. Let's get into the content here today. And the first half of this show is going to be about a team that I hold very dear to my heart, and that is the New York Metropolitans. Before the show started, I said, listen, I'm not going to tell anybody what, what what baseball team is my favorite? But five minutes into this conversation, you guys definitely would have figured it out. So I, I'm just going to tell you right now, the New York Mets are my favorite baseball team, and there's no better way than to start my first ever episode than with the New York Mets. So we're about a week away now from the beginning of the season, and if you look up and down the major leagues... Honestly, the Mets, to me, are one of the most intriguing teams out there. Because if you look on their depth chart, and I'll take you around the depth chart now, the starting pitching, of course, if it's healthy, is going to be there. Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, who, by the way, those two, was just named by MLB.com as the best one-two punch in the majors. So if they're healthy, you know that's there. Matt Harvey, a guy who has had, honestly, a tremendous spring for what we have seen out of him the past two years. The man who couldn't find the strike zone, and when he did, the ball was going 450 feet to dead center field. Steven Matz, right now the only lefty in this rotation because of the injury to Jason Vargas. Hopefully, he can have a bounce back year and he can figure himself out. And then it's going to round out with Zach Wheeler, who, when he came up his first year, showed signs of being great, but since then, hasn't really shown us anything. But if these five guys, if they are together, and they are in the same rotation, and they can all reach their ace possibility which has been now talked about for, I couldn't even tell you how many years. If they're this good, watch out. Because I will say it time and time again, I will say it first today, 
And I guarantee you, it will not be the last time you hear me say this. This Mets team will go as far as their pitching takes them. Because it can be that good. Then you move to behind home plate. And you get Travis Darno and Kevin Plawecki, two guys that finished the season last year on a very high note, and two guys that have had a tremendous spring training. But how much do you value that? How much do you value September baseball games? How much do you value spring training baseball games? Personally, I don't value them that much. Travis comes out of the gate swinging 275 by the end of next month with three, four home runs. Kevin Plawecki's batting about 260. He's got a couple home runs, driven in a couple runs. Then I'll start to believe it. Because right now, they have shown absolutely nothing. Then you get around to first base. And Mets Twitter, I love you. I am a part of Mets Twitter, and I see you guys, and I I watch what you tweet. But when the Mets signed Adrian Gonzalez, I personally loved it. Because for once, in as long as I could remember, the Mets finally provided the fan base with something that they didn't have in the last 5-10 years. And that was depth. Will it push Dominic Smith back a little bit? Yeah, it will. But you know what? What have you seen from Dominic Smith that you're like, he needs to be the starting first baseman? Because I haven't seen anything. And if you have seen something, please let me know. I think he can eventually be good. And I really thought this competition of Adrian Gonzalez and Dominic Smith was going to be the main story in spring training. But then the first day of spring training game, Dominic Smith shows up late and he gets scratched from the lineup. The kid needs more time. Over to second base. Picking up Azdrubal Cabrera's $8 million option was a no-brainer. Whether you were going to play him at second and sign a third baseman like the Mets did, or you were going to play him at third and possibly trade for a second baseman. But Azdrubal Cabrera at a price tag of $8 million was an absolute no-brainer. The, the presence he holds in the clubhouse. He can still swing the bat very well. You've seen that the past few years. The key for him, though, is staying healthy and staying on the field as it is for the rest of this Mets roster. You move to shortstop. Ahmed Rosario kind of had a judge-like season when he came up for the last month of the season. Expected more, but really didn't get it. I think this is the year Rosario takes the jump. I think he can bat around 285, 290. He can really excel at in the stolen base category, something the Mets haven't had since Jose Reyes, who the Mets also brought back, and is a tremendous move in my eyes, again, for his clubhouse leadership and what he provides for Ahmed Rosario. Whether you like it or not, Mets fans, Ahmed Rosario is the next Jose Reyes. So to have them on the same team at the same time, nothing negative can come out of that. 
then you get to third base. And the Mets go out and they and they sign Todd Frazier. Maybe maybe a person who fell into their laps because of the slow market. Maybe a person they really prioritized. We won't know. But again, it was good to finally see the Mets go out and spend the money that they said that they've had for all this time. Will Todd Frazier bat 270? No, he won't. Hell, you're lucky if he bats 250. But again, veteran leadership in the clubhouse. I don't think I've ever seen the guy not smiling. He'll hit for power. He should have a field day in City Field as long as he's not hitting the ball in center field. Then you move to the outfield. Again, the Mets go out and they spend their money and they bring back a person who was a, a fan favorite in, in Jay Bruce. And I was, I, I'll say one thing, I was totally shocked, honestly, when the Mets traded away Bruce at the end of last year and the fan backlash they got. I was honestly surprised. I, for all the Mets games I go to, for all the Mets fans I am around, I would not have guessed that the backlash would have been that bad and that they wanted Jay Bruce in New York so bad. So Jay Bruce comes back around for his second time in New York. I'm going to go to left field next because I think center field is extremely interesting. Left field, what else do you have to say than Yohan Cespedes? If the man's healthy, if he's on the field, he can easily bat 285 with 35 home runs and over 100 RBIs. But again, that's if he's on the field. Last year, he played half of his games. And if he played anywhere close to what he should be playing, he would have hit 40 home runs. Now I move to center field. Because like I said before, this is... This is a position for the Mets that is extremely interesting because right now, without Conforto, who, by the way, is starting to tear it up as he gets underway for his spring training games, you have Juan Lagares, who, of course, is a former Gold Glove winner, but struggles with the bat in his hands. Then you have Brandon Nimmo, who's not really a center fielder by trade, but he can play the position but he'll handle the bat much better than Ligaris will. Personally, after the spring Nimmo has had, if Ligaris starts in center field on opening day, I think it's a travesty. But we'll get to the starting lineups later, because I have something for that as well. Now I move to the bullpen. This is a bullpen that I think, to keep Dominic Smith down in AAA, I think this is a bullpen that will carry... Eight pitchers at the start of the season. Of course, Jerry's familiar. Anthony Swarzak, who they added in free agency. A.J. Ramos, who came over last year in a trade with the Marlins. Jerry Blevins, the always reliable left-hander. Paul Sewald, who proved very useful last year. Then the bottom of the bullpen kind of falls off. Because I will tell you one thing, and I will tell you, if Hansel Robles and Rafael Montero make this team... It is, again, another travesty, and the Mets will be starting off the season on the wrong foot. How many more chances can we give these two men that haven't proven really anything? 
Rafael Montero more than Robles. Robles had a decent season a few years ago. But Rafael Montero has literally shown no signs of being able to be a major league pitcher, but he still gets his chances. So in conclusion, I think the bottom of the bullpen finishes off with Jacob Rame, Robert Gazelman, and Seth Lugo. And that is the eight pitchers out of the bullpen. I'm just going to leave you now with a starting lineup open on opening day, and then one X-factor of this offseason. So I think leading off and playing center field for the Mets is Brandon Nimmo, because as I said in the past, if Lagares starts, I really don't think there's enough there to keep him in the leadoff spot. He's, he, his on-base percentage isn't really that high, and like I said before, he's not really that great with the bat in his hands. Batting second and playing left field is Joanna Cespedes. At the beginning of spring training, I did not necessarily like the idea of Joanna Cespedes batting second, but now... I am in love with it. When you get late into games and the top of your order is coming up and maybe the third batter in the inning is Joanna Cespedes, yeah, that's a problem. And if you're on the mound, you're looking at that. You're glaring over to that on-deck circle and you're saying, I can now not let anybody on base because if he comes up, he could potentially tie or even win the game. Batting third and playing right field, Jay Bruce, I think he fits perfectly in there. Batting cleanup and playing third base is Todd Frazier. There's a lot of power there, and I think that he f- fits the mold of a cleanup hitter. Five and six is where I kind of struggled, because originally I wanted to put Adrian Gonzalez in the five hole. But after his horrific spring, I'm going to put Asdrubal Cabrera in the five hole, playing second base, and followed by Adrian in the six. Batting seventh is the catcher Travis Darno, and I think only because Ahmed Rosario batting 8th, with all the speed he has, he can get on base, and then you won't even have to maybe worry about bunting him over to 2nd, because then maybe he can steal 2nd, and then you can bunt him over to the 3rd, and then he'll be on 3rd with 1 out. That is my opening day projected team and lineup for the New York Mets. And I said I was going to leave you with an X-Factor, so here it is. I think one of the most underrated moves the Mets made this offseason was bringing in Mickey Calloway. If you've seen me and you stop me and you talk to me and you say, hey, Rich, what what do you think of, of Mickey Calloway? My answer is always the same. My answer is this. I could listen to that man talk about baseball all day because he is just that knowledgeable And he is that personable. And even though I loved Terry Collins, he is a perfect fit for this pitching-oriented New York Mets team. I'm going to take a quick break. Here's Justine Strezpek with your sports update. I'm Justine Strezpek with your sports update. ESPN released their dominant 20 list this past week, and the rankings might not be what you think. Coming in at number one was Tiger Woods. Following behind him was LeBron James at number two and Peyton Manning at number three. At the bottom of the list was Mike Trout and Manny Pacquiao. And coming in at number 20 was Tom Brady. 
Former Golden State Warriors head coach Mark Jackson may supposedly succeed Jeff Hornacek as the coach of the New York Knicks. That's according to BleacherReport.com. Kurt Hillen of NBC Sports passed along words from the weekly newsletter of Mark Stein saying, quote, The former Knicks guard Mark Jackson keeps coming up as a hot name to succeed Hornacek amid a growing belief the Knicks' new front office chief, Scott Perry, will want to install his own hand-picked choice heading into next season. It's difficult to fault Hornacek for much of the chaos that has engulfed the Knicks during his two seasons in charge, but there's no avoiding the fact he was a Phil Jackson selection, which could well doom him now that the organization seems intent on cutting every non-Porzingian tie to the Phil era as possible." End quote. Eastern Michigan University has decided to let go of four of their 21 sport programs in efforts to save approximately $2.4 million. Sports being cut include men's swimming and diving, women's tennis and wrestling, and softball. This has been your sports update. I'm Justine Strasbeck. All right. Thanks, Justine. Now we're moving on to... Those Bronx Bombers, those New York Yankees, those men, they just, they kill me, man. They just get better and better and better. And it's just, it's, don't get me wrong, it's good for New York sports and I love it. Because when New York sports prosper, everybody prospers, everybody wins. So let's, let's take you around the diamond for this New York Yankees team. And I'll give you a little spoiler. I was trying to come up with this lineup before, and batting people where is... It was hard, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So we'll start with the rotation, and obviously the Yankees have already named Luis Severino their opening day starter, which to me was an absolute no-brainer. He had a fantastic season last year, and this year I think he gets even better as he starts commanding his pitches. Then you move to Masahiro Tanaka, who had a down year last year. But you can always have a bounce-back year in this league, just like Matt Harvey is looking to do for the Mets. I think Masahiro Tanaka will look to do the same for the Yankees. Then you have CC Sabathia, the returning CC Sabathia, who the Yankees locked up again in free agency this year. He'll always... He, the numbers might not be there anymore for CC, but the leadership in the clubhouse will always be. Everybody respects CC. People love CC. And that can never be overvalued in a clubhouse. Then you get to Sonny Gray, who the Yankees acquired at the trade deadline last year. And when they did, I wasn't overly impressed. I thought the perfect fit for the Yankees was Garrett Cole, who of course just got dealt to the Astros this offseason. But the Pirates were asking for too much, so I understand the Yankees not wanting to give up as much as the Pirates were asking for for Garrett Cole. So they got Sonny Gray instead, which was not a bad thing at all. I mean, let's be real. He was the star of that A's rotation, and now he's slotted into your four spot on the Yankees. I mean, what does that say? Now you're at five, and you get to Jordan Montgomery, who had a decent season last year. But if I'm being honest, even after acquiring Stanton, even after acquiring Neil Walker... I still feel like the Yankees missed the piece they needed. A guy like Lance Lynn, a guy like Alex Cobb, who just got paid by the Orioles, by the division rival Orioles, they would have fit in perfectly in that five hole, and they really would have rounded out that rotation well. 
However, you win some, you lose some. And if I'm being honest, the Yankees probably aren't going to lose too much this year. So if they lose out on Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb, so be it. Behind the plate, you have Al Gary, the, the Kraken, Gary Sanchez, who had a monster season last year. And if I'm being honest, if you're looking for bold predictions, I'll give you one. I think Gary Sanchez has a better year than Aaron Judge does. Gary Sanchez has been absolutely raking, and it seems like there is nothing that can stop him. He seems unstoppable. I think Gary Sanchez has a breakout year this year. He breaks out even more than he did last year. Then you go down to first base, and Yankees fans, I ask you the question, is the bird the word anymore? Because the health concerns, of course, now for Greg Bird will always be there. He has never had a full season in the majors, and I think that was a good move by the Yankees to go out and sign Neil Walker because now you have your primary second baseman who can, of course, share time with Tyler Wade. But now you have also a backup at first base. You move to second base. As I just preluded to, you have Neil Walker and Tyler Wade. Tyler Wade really isn't good at hitting left-handed pitching, so that's where Neil Walker comes into play. I think the two of them will work nicely at second base for the Yankees. Then you get to shortstop and Sir Didi, the king of the emojis. He had a fantastic year last year, and there's really no pressure on him in this lineup. So I don't see a reason why he cannot repeat the year he had last year. You move over to third base and Brandon Drury, another piece the Yankees brought in, this time on a three-team deal. Drury always flew under the radar in Arizona. He really didn't get a decent amount of playing time. But he was always there and he was always contributing something to that Diamondbacks roster. And I think that bringing in Drury, will it push Miguel Andujar back? Yes. Do I think it will hold him off for the end of the season? I do not. If you want another bold prediction, I do believe Miguel Andujar will be the starting third baseman for the Yankees by the end of the season. You move to the outfield, and of course, somebody correct me if I'm wrong after this episode airs, I'm pretty sure the longest tenured Yankee, Brett Gardner, in left field. A class act, a fan favorite, nothing more you can really say about him. Then you move to center field and a man who really blossomed last year and kind of kicked Jacoby Ellsbury to the curb is Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks came over from the Twins and he had a fantastic year. Then you move to right field. And of course, the rich just keep getting richer. The Yankees, they have Aaron Judge. And then they go out and then they say, no, no, we want more. So you come over and you trade for Giancarlo Stanton. What a world we live in, where the Yankees can now have Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton in the same lineup. As I said before, I think Aaron Judge regresses a little bit, but not that bad. 
I also think Giancarlo will not have as great of a year as he did last year. But the Bash Bros is a real thing. And all of you AL East pitchers, you better watch out. Because they're not going to be held off for very long. Then you move to the bullpen, and the bullpen is even stacked. I mean, let's be serious here. A guy in a role as Chapman who you're pretty sure is going to close. But then you also have two other closers in that roster. You have Dellen Batances, who had a down year last year, and hopefully he can figure stuff out. A guy like David Robertson, who closed for the Chicago White Sox. A guy like Tommy Canely, who can, if he wanted to, close games. And of course, how can I forget about the MVP of the Yankees' bullpen last year, Chad Green. The best move the Yankees made this offseason was not moving Chad Green to a starter. I think he will be invaluable as a bullpen piece this season. That now brings me to the Yankees' opening day lineup. And like I said before, this was, this was tough. I have never had to put together a lineup that so many people should be batting higher than they are. But let's do it. I think leading off and playing left field is Brett Gardner. I think that's a no-brainer. He is getting up there in age, but the man is still extremely fast. And he's your prototypical leadoff hitter. Then you move to batting second. And playing right field is Aaron Judge. I believe hitting Aaron Judge second in this lineup is the better choice. Some of you might disagree with me. Some might say Stanton is better. But only time will tell. Speaking of Stanton, I think he bats third and of course DH is for the team. And batting fourth and catching is Gary Sanchez. That middle of the lineup even though there's no left-hander in there, that is the most lethal middle of the lineup in the league, and it's not even a question. Batting fifth and playing shortstop is Didi Gregorius. I put him there because of his stellar year last year, and because I have a lot more faith in Didi Gregorius than I do in Greg Bird. Granted, it might be misplaced faith for right now, but only time will tell. Batting sixth and playing center field is Aaron Hicks. Batting seventh and playing first base is Greg Bird. Batting eighth, playing second base is whoever will match up better that day, Uh, but I do believe Neil Walker will start. And batting ninth and playing third base is Brandon Drury. Even though you guys already have my opinion on where Brandon Drury will be at the end of the season for the Yankees. A few notes here before we move off from the Yankees as we wind down the first ever episode of the Rich Behan Show. Ronald Torres was a man last year that nobody talked about. The only time, in fact, the only time the man was talked about was when he stood next to Aaron Judge 
for the national anthem. He will be a very valuable piece going forward for this team. A very under-the-radar piece. And as I talked about with the Mets and their manager, I will talk about the Yankees and their new manager, Mr. Aaron Boone. Who, I'm not too sure yet how he will fit. I have all the faith in the world in Mickey Calloway. I don't know about Aaron Boone. I really don't. And Yankee fans, if you if you disagree with me or if you have more insight, please let me know. Email the show. Tweet the show. I'll see it. I want to hear your opinions on the Aaron Boone signing. Was it a strong move? Was there a better choice? Was A-Rod a better choice? Only time will tell. Moving on from the Yankees, and this is how I'm probably going to end the show each week if we get enough fan questions. This is how I will probably end the show. This week we had a tremendous response from fans, and we got about five questions. So I'm going to answer them right now. I'll shout you out. And again, thank you guys for sending in the questions. And like I said, I want to do this every week. So please send in questions for me to answer at the end of the show. You know, this this isn't a really good one to start with. But it was the first question. So here we go. From Home Alone 5. Lost at Kidoba. Who would win in a New York City street fight? Steve Harvey, or your average Halal Guys vendor? I'll be honest with you, I've never been to Halal Guys, so I'll have to go with my friend, the man with the stash, Steve Harvey. Jason asks, What's your outlook on the Mets this season? I kind of touched on it before, but if you'd like me to put numbers on it, I will. Will the Mets be a wildcard team? Possibly. Could they win the division? Probably more possibly. Listen, I think for the next few years, the NL wild card will consist of two teams from the NL West. The NL West is stacked. The Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, those are your teams making the playoffs. If the Mets have any chance at the playoffs this season... You better get it from the Nationals. Joe asks, Will the Mets pitchers be able to make up for the lack of hitting, or should we prepare for another lackluster season? Joe, I feel you. These lackluster seasons haven't been good. They really haven't. They've sucked. I've watched all the games I know. But if there is one hope for the Mets this season, if there's one beacon of light, and no, it is not the Dark Knight symbol. It is these five pitchers. And like I said before, this team will go as far as these pitchers will take them. Joseph Ippolito asks, should the Giants draft Saquon Barkley and then grab Colton Miller in the second round? Or should they trade down and draft Quentin Nelson? Or should they draft a quarterback? When we get closer to the draft, I will have a draft special show, but for right now, I will answer the question, of course. 
I think the Giants should draft Saquon Barkley. Generational running backs, generational talents like Saquon Barkley come up every once in a while. You usually have a franchise quarterback every draft. In my opinion, the Giants should definitely take Saquon Barkley with the second overall pick. Dan Lytle asks, what kind of additions do you think the Jets will make in the draft and the rest of the offseason? And how do you think it will impact their season? The Jets, going into this offseason, had the most cap space in the NFL, and they've put it to good use. They've signed some key pieces, but the Jets now trading up to the number three pick in the draft, I don't necessarily know if it's confusing. I don't really know what it is, but I will say one thing. As a fan of New York football, how could you not want to see Baker Mayfield in Jets green? And Dylan Riley says, just an opinion, I see Cespedes and Bruce having great seasons while the Mets go into a wild card spot. Dylan, man, I hope you're right. I really do. Because when New York baseball prospers, baseball prospers, and that is the perfect way to end the first episode of the Rich B. Hand Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for listening. You don't know how much this means to me to finally have my own show and my own platform to be able to do this. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you guys so much. Let's do it again next week.